Well, one of the things I'm thankful for is we're starting to see our auditorium fill up. You're coming here to offer the sacrifice of worship, to be with one another. Uh, Pray for us as we begin to talk about and figure out how do we offer a safe place for people to come and worship without, uh, but at the same time allowing us to gather together. So there's those two tensions, and we just need your prayer for that as we're going forward. It's so great to see you, and uh, we want to make sure anybody that wants to come and worship God can find a safe place where they can be charged and and engaged in uh, worship of God. Another thing I want to mention is you'll, you'll hear in our announcements, and you, if you were here last week or online, you know that we're raising money for Bibles for Ethiopia. There's this massive outpouring of uh, the Spirit of God in Ethiopia. We have nine church planters there. And so we, they need Bibles because they've come to faith, and they're like little babies, and they're longing for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, like we learned last week, but they don't have Bibles. And so $3 will get somebody a Bible. And I just had a person this week say, look, I'm going, anonymous donor, I'm going to give, I'm going to match up to $10,000. So if you give one, $3 for a Bible, yeah, 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 go ahead. That's God's working. So yeah. Thanks. Sometimes I need those promptings. So whoever started that, thank you very much. Uh, So if you give $3, you don't give one Bible, you give two Bibles. If you give $10, you don't give three Bibles, you give six Bibles. If you give 100, you don't give 30 Bibles, you give 60. You know how it works. And so uh, that's the where the, our benevolent or community care offerings go in this month. And that donor wants to see people uh, and wants to encourage us to help people get the word of God. Now, one of the things that wasn't evident today, because the, when we started worship, man, my heart was run. I had, I'm glad I got to take my mask off because it was, I was actually, as I was breathing back in, I was sucking it down my throat because I was getting out of breath from the excitement and the, the worship. And uh, one of the things that concerns me, though, about COVID is that's the unusual thing in the church in the last 18 months. Uh, We were forced to enter into a worship where we were alone or at best with our families, uh, isolated and online. And, and, And we were forced to move out of community, of entering into the presence of God with other people in our groups, our life groups, and we were forced to go online. And so we became very isolated and, and online, and that led to a disengagement that happens in our spirit because it's, our, our soul was not being uh, uh, touched. It wasn't being encouraged by the presence of other people as we sought God. And it was created in us a passivity that we really couldn't do much about, and we became passive in our worship of God and our engagement with other people. And passivity often leads to a disengagement and a boredom. And so on the one hand, I've seen a boredom uh, with our faith. Because uh, disengagement always deadens. It always takes something away from anything, including your faith. When you disengage, it deadens our faith. But at the same time, I've been in touch with people, and you heard some of the stories here last week, of people that have upped their engagement in COVID, and they found ways, in particular with their my four, with the people they were asking God to use them 
to share Christ with, to reach for Christ. And, and in particular, those people who really upped, seemed to up their engagement and they, they, were, uh, you know, they were interceding, doing the three eyes. they were interceding for these people, they're my four, and then they were investing time and, and energy and love into the lives of those people around them. And then they were inviting them, and inviting them to all kinds of things, inviting them, which is probably the, easy, the best invitation, read the Bible. Hey, why don't you read the Bible and we'll talk about it. Or watch Chosen. Have you seen Chosen? If you have not seen Chosen, you need to see Chosen. It's the life of Jesus, the Gospels, and it's a fresh look at the life of Christ. Or they invited them to view online or to read a book or to come to Alpha with me online and, and, or just let's talk about some spiritual things. And as they were doing that, I noticed they, they weren't deadened in their faith. They were, they were excited about their faith because they were engaged in the mission. I'm telling you, Crystal got up here, my wife Crystal got up here last week and shared how God prompted her to give Bibles to our neighbors and my first instinct as a pastor and leader in the faith was, well, God's prompting you, that's your issue, I'm not gonna be part of it. And uh, of course I got dragged into it. And uh, I'm telling you, it was, it was, it, that, there was a level of anxiety. I, I mean, we we're stepping out, we were letting people know who we were and, and that we we're a follower of Christ and we were going to uh, intrude on that and hand by, but, and I'm telling you, I, 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 that, was, that was hard to do. And yet I never felt so excited about my faith as that time. Funny how that works, isn't it? When we disengage, it deadens our faith. But when we engage, it excites us. And we have come through 18 months where we have been disengaged by force and or by choice. And I believe now's the time for us to re-engage before we become so passive and so bored that we walk away. That's the danger of what's happened in COVID, a passivity and boredom because we've become disengaged. Peter talks about that. We, start, we, we were looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 last week and uh, we covered a few verses. I'm going to go back and just talk about a few just to give some context. Verse 4, as you come to him, that's of course Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to God. Jesus is precious. I'm going to avoid the Lord of the Rings reference here. I mean, it's so obvious. It's just like fat, slow-hanging fruit. But, but Jesus is precious to God, and you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You too, he's the living stone, the cornerstone as we're going to learn today, and that everything else, when you built a, a stone building, you laid first that huge cornerstone, and then everything else was aligned to that cornerstone to be leveled, to be straight. Everything came off that cornerstone, and Jesus, Peter picks up that image, he's the living stone, that cornerstone in this spiritual, relational, 
entity that, that uh, God is building out of all of those who are followers of Jesus. He's making a temple that isn't stone, but, but is, is non-material. It's, it's relational. It's, it, it, and God is building this through time and throughout history. And, and you are part of it like a living stone. He's matching and putting you into it. And he's made us not only living stones, but we're priests in this temple and we're there to serve God. And then he goes on and he says, for in scriptures it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, that's Jesus. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The person that chooses to admit their sin and to believe that Jesus is the solution to sin by dying on the cross and then chooses to follow, to surrender their life and say, I am now a follower of Jesus. You will never be put to shame. And by that he means you will never stand before God and, and God say to you, away from me, you, uh, I don't know who you are. That will never happen to you because you're, you are part of what God is building and your life is based on Christ. And now to you who believe this stone, just like that stone, Jesus the living stone is precious to the Father. He is precious to you. Now stop for a second, just stop. That means those who build their life upon Christ have a love for Jesus in their hearts. We know from other scriptures that when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God himself, enters, the third member of the Trinity, enters our souls and creates and builds a love for Jesus. If you wonder where you're at, because sometimes our love for Jesus and our life, you know, we go through really hard patches. And some of it's our own disobedience and some of it's just life. And, and our love grows cold and we, we become disengaged and we wonder, um, is this real anymore? And the, the test of reality in following Jesus is not your obedience, though that is the most important thing that we have to do in following him. But that is not the test because we fail in our obedience. The test is, do you love Jesus? Do you love him? That's what you're building in coming here to worship and going into his word and serving him. You're building love. It's a relationship. You love Jesus. And that love should be growing. If that love isn't growing, perhaps it's because you've disengaged. And the deadness that you're feeling inside is from a disengagement. And that love needs to be stirred up. If you're married, you know you go through this all the time in your relationship. And the longer you're married, you know there's periods of time where you go, my love for my spouse, I mean, it's, it's hard right now. And you've learned that you, had to, you have to work at it to bring it back alive. And, and, and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is working in us to, to bring back to life that love that we have for Jesus. That's the essence of our faith, is the love we have for Jesus. He's precious to us, but, he says, there's those that do not believe. 
The stone the builders rejected has become this cornerstone. So the stone the builders said, ah, we can't use that. That has been actually the stone that was taken by God and made to create this whole new temple. But they rejected that. They said, it's, not, it's no good. It's not working. It's not worth using. It's not effective. However you want to say, for whatever reason, the builders rejected it. They rejected it, but God didn't reject Jesus. And the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. In what way does Jesus, the stone that God chose, make people stumble and fall? And, and here it is, as briefly as I can say, is that Jesus makes some pretty extraordinary claims when he's here on earth. One of which being, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He was saying, I am the only solution for a person wanting to find forgiveness of sin and to be redeemed out of their life. And even further, I am the only solution for a culture or a country that wants to find redemption and life and and come out of destruction and death. Because I am the only one who can deal with man's intrinsic problem sin. That's why we stumble. That's why our culture stumbles. Because we have, we have a longing to, to have the life that Jesus describes. What's that, what I mean by that? A life where there's, you know, corruption has ended and racism has ended and, and uh, poverty has ended and abuse, and violence, and immorality, and we, we long, and justice, like we, we long for a society that's like that. In fact, we're working hard. If you look at the news, that's what's going on. People are dissatisfied with racism. They're dissatisfied with injustice. They're dissatisfied with poverty. They're dissatisfied with the way we're treating the earth. They want a better world. And Jesus says the only way we get a better world is we have to deal with sin in the heart that causes people to do the things that destroy the world we're in. And there's only one way for that to happen, and that's through Jesus at the cross where we repent of our sins and turn to Jesus and choose to follow him. It's the only solution for the problem. But see, our culture goes, well, I want that, I want that kind of culture. I want that kind of life. I don't want Jesus. I don't want God. And so the stumbling block. When you reject the cornerstone that God is building upon, you no longer have access to the transformation that God is creating in our world. But, he says, so that's the reality of our culture. Many in our culture either don't know about Jesus or they've said, man, I'm not really interested. I want the life. I want a society where there isn't corruption, where there is justice, where, where there's not violence, where, where, where women and children are safe and, and, and where people aren't living in poverty. I want that, but, but I, I don't want God. There's the stumbling block. That Jesus is God's way to restore and transform this world. And will one day, in our prayer time this morning, as we were praying over this service, one of our prayer warriors prayed, God, we all want a life that is full. We all want that, that life that you promised, the life that you talk about. It's within us to want it. 
but we're not all willing to surrender to Jesus and allow him to begin to change us and transform us and change our, so change our culture and transform it. But, he says, that's not true of everyone, he says, but you, but you, a follower of Jesus, those of you that Jesus is not a stumbling stone to, but he's the rock on which you are building your life, those of you that have put your trust in him, you, and now he's going to start describing who we are in God's sight, not in ours, in God's sight. You are a chosen people. I'm gonna forego going to the verses, but in Deuteronomy, God says to the people of Israel, I have chosen you, not because you're great, not because you're worthy, not because you're so wonderful. I've chosen you. You're actually the smallest and the least important, but I have chosen you, and I'm going to place my calling and blessing on you because of who I am, not because of who you are. And he did the same to us. He drew us to Jesus, not because we were great, not because we were worthy, not because we are better than anybody else, not because we were one particular ethnicity, because Jesus Jesus loves all ethnicities. He drew us because he is faithful and he is good and he earned our salvation, not because I earned my salvation, but he earned it and he offers it to me. And so here's the, here's the ramifications of that. You are going to fail in your walk with Jesus, right? You know that. Things you watch on screen, things you say to your spouse, things you say to your kids, things you say to your parents. The actions you do at work that you hope you don't get caught on. The attitude of pride you have toward a checkout person. The sexual immorality that may be in your life. The abortion that you had when you were younger. We do things where we regret and we fail and we find forgiveness not because we are worthy and we've worked and found acceptance with God and we've done what we need to do to make up for that. That just creates a ton load of guilt in our lives. We find that forgiveness because God is faithful, because God paid for our sins, because God is loving, and based upon him and his character, he forgives and he redeems and he transforms, not because we're worthy. And Peter says, you, you're, you're, the, you're the ones God chose and he's doing a work in you. So stop disengaging, but engage with what God wants to do in you. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. There is no Old Testament example of this because in the Old Testament, there, from the line of tribe of Judah and the line of David came the royals. They were all the royal family. The priestly family came from a whole different tribe, Levi, and Aaron in particular, and all that came from him were the priests, and never did those two join anywhere. There was never a royal priesthood in the Old Testament. But in Jesus, who is a descendant of the line of David, and who comes according to Hebrews from the, the priesthood of Melchizedek, bypasses the Old Testament priesthood and brings a new and effective priesthood, he becomes the king priest, the one who both leads us and intercedes for us before God, the one who both is our master and our savior, the one who is the Lord of all and the one who is the lover of our soul. He is the king priest, and when you, when you choose to follow Jesus, he makes you a part of his family and brings you in, and you are now, male or female, boy or girl, you are a royal priest. Wow, 
Well, what does that mean? It means you've been brought into the family business. Your calling in your life as a royal priest precedes and overrides everything else you are and do. You are one of his family. You are one he has chosen to be part of the family business. What's the family business? Hey, as I'm going, I want you to know this is your job. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I taught you. Go reach people with the gospel and then build them in their faith. That's what I'm all about in this world. You, that's what you're to be all about. I'll give you jobs. I'll give you families. I'll give you places to live and cars to drive. But that's not what life is about. Life is about what I'm calling you to, which is discipling people, leading them to faith, and building them in their faith. Now get busy doing that, because before you know it, your life is over, and your time is done. Now let's stop. I just want to stop and ask, do you have your my four? We talk a lot about that. My four is four people, at least four people, who you're asking God to use you to reach. And maybe your step of faith this fall is to say, God, I have not really stepped up to the plate on this. I have been disobedient to you. I've been neglecting this. And so this year, I'm asking you to show me at least four people I can begin to intercede for, I can invest time and love into, and I can invite into something you show me that I should. You know if you have four, your four, because you can name them right now. Go ahead and name them. Give me the four names. Well, give God the four names. You can't name four names, and you don't have your my four. That's your family business. That's why he put us here. That's what he's calling us to. You're chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, and then he said, you're also a holy nation. So I wear this ring on my finger. When you see somebody with a ring on this finger on their left hand, what does it tell you? Tells you they're married. Do you know what it means? It means I am set apart. I am holy for a purpose for another person. I belong to somebody else. So the whole dating scene and the flirting scene and the sexual scene, that's all off. That's all forsaken. That's all done because I am now holy. I am set apart for one person. And Jesus says, I'm putting a ring on your finger. You're set apart for me. And as you live in obedience to me, I will use you to be a light in the world. I thought, what does it mean, obedience? Well, obedience, first and foremost, is are things that the scriptures tell us. And then there's that level of which we're struggling with something. And so God may be working on me to forgive somebody, but yeah, that's not your problem. You, there's nobody in your life you don't need to forgive. So there's the, the general, oh, you need to forgive, but then, oh, but I got a forgiveness issue I have to work through and I need to obey God. on. Things like forgiving people that hurt you, giving a tithe or more to God. That should feel a little bit ouchy. Do acts of kindness to an enemy, somebody at work who undercut you or spoke bad about you rather than responding the same way, doing acts of kindness to them. Confessing your failures and sin to those you've hurt. So often we do things, say things or do things that hurt people, but we never go back and say, I was wrong and I'm sorry for what I did. That is a profound impact on people when we have that kind of humility. 
putting the needs of others ahead of your own, praying for others, refusing to gossip or talk about another person when everybody around you may be doing it, refusing to flirt or engage in immoral or sexual behaviors when your spouse is not around, or if you're single, uh, committing yourself to Christ and being pure in your singleness. Coming alongside people that are hurting and providing support and care, actually taking time to care for them. Serving in your church or serving in your workplace or serving in your home, being a servant. Speaking with purity and kindness, words that come out of you. Talking with the reality of, uh, talking about the reality of Jesus in your life. There are just some things that we're called to be and do and in our world, we're set apart for Christ, we're holy and we're supposed to be living that way and when we live that way, God works through us and we become a light in the world and people People go, hmm, that's different. And quite frankly, you might not even know the impact you're having on people. Just because you live a holy life doesn't mean people always fall down, come up and talk to you and tell you about what a great change you made in their life. Often we're just a link in the chain. Our act of obedience, our act of Christ-likeness moves people one small step down their journey. I need to end... I came, so, <laughs> Mike and I laugh, Mike's our sound man. I had a 35 minute sermon prepared and then I came and looked at the agenda and I forgot, oh, i am only got 15 minutes. <laughs> so I'm way over time so I need to end, Ashley. Is that okay with you? Sure. Yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> you like that. So let me end with this. Remember I said disengagement deadens and engagement excites? Well, it's time for you to look at your faith, your walk with Jesus, and say, am I disengaged? Am I passive and bored with my faith? And if you are, then it's time to engage. It's time to engage what you're doing now. Not only come to worship, but engage when you're in worship from spirit and truth, coming to meet with God. To engage with other people, to, to get together in community and, and talk about the word and confess what, where your struggles and pray for one another. It's time to engage in serving. You know, as we, as we like, we, we can only take so many kids in our, our kids' ministry during our services because we don't have enough people. And so we need people to say, I'm, I'm re-upping now. I'm going to engage again. That's an area I can serve. Engage with our youth. Engage with our connections team. Engage with our community care team. Engage and use your gifts. And choose to say, I'm going to join a team and be part of what God is doing. And engage with your my four. Disengagement will deaden your faith and your love for Christ. Engagement will bring it to life. So where do you need to engage? Jesus, uh, Peter said we need to engage as a chosen people, a royal priest and a holy nation, declaring the praises of God. Help us to be a church that does that. I've tried to exhort our body, our church, to leave the passivity, leave the disengagement behind and re-engage. Now would you lead and speak to each of us about what that means for us? What are you calling us? Where are you calling us to re-engage? In Jesus' name I pray.